Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Cleansing Protection Magic, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast or making a donation, which would be much appreciated, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without any further ado, our guest for today is Michael Freely, and he has written a couple of Very interesting books, The Secret Christ, The Serious Point, A Stargate to the Gods, and Alchemy of the Gods. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Good evening to you. Yeah. So uh, let's start with Jesus. (laughs) What made you write a book about Jesus? And is it any way connected to aliens? Well, it, 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 it is in a roundabout way, simply because what I found in, in my research and, and, and looking into these subjects is that humanity really is uh, fixated on history that never occurred and on miracles that were never performed. And when you look at this Christ figure, soon realized when I was looking into this and, and the whole of the ancient world that I'm, I'm, I'm a multiple experience of UFOs and, and ET contact. So I'm well aware that they exist and they are around and they, they have been for a considerable amount of time. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the, the Christ character, you see that the, the, the ancient writings were spiritual representations. They were never real. They were never meant to be real. They were written for you know the, the spiritual masters for the advanced students so when you look at the the likes of christ it was never a real person it was a metaphor for something much deeper and that metaphor that that much deeper is is the human condition from from what we currently are to what we could potentially be now the christ is really that potential and that potential is, is symbolized in many different ways. You can have the likes of the Sumerian scrolls, the Anunnaki story, which is really the same thing. It is telling you about human potential. You can look at the biblical characters and the biblical stories, and they're telling you about human potential. You can look at the ancient pyramids. You can look at Stonehenge. You can look at all of these monuments and monoliths around the world, and they are really telling you about human Potential. So, when we look at, you know, the nebula, so we were not, we are not from Earth. So a lot of these, these, these alien sort of beings were from, well, probably already here, a lot of them, and they are also trying to bring forth our potential. So this is where we have the connection between <clears throat> Elohim the Nephilim, the extraterrestrials, the Christ, the Enki, the Enlil, 
all of these different characters are really talking about humans. And there's a lot of ETs out there that wish for humans to raise that potential. So that really, in a nutshell, is the, the, the connection. By Interesting. Do I sound okay to you or am I breaking up? No, no, you sound clear. Okay. Um, so if Jesus wasn't a real person, how do you explain the one piece of evidence that says he is, which is the, the Shroud of Turin? Well, you said that the, the Shroud of Turin, no one has ever described what this Christ ever looked like. What we've been given is an image, a Caucasian image of someone from allegedly from the Middle East. Now, when you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls that were hidden by the likes of the Knights Templar, and I've actually discovered where they've hidden them, but when you look at the Common Cave Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were written by Jewish mystics around the so-called time of Christ, there's one character that was omitted from the Jewish scriptures, the King of the Jews, Christ. So when you look at the Shroud of Turin, and when you look at the dating of the Shroud of Turin, and you look at the image that is upon the Shroud of Turin, that looks more like Jacques de Molay, who was the Grand Master of the Knights Templar, who was crucified in the same way that the biblical scripture tells us that Christ was crucified, because he denied, as I am doing now, he denied the existence of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ. Now, when you look at some of the documented sayings by, by what I'm going to say, Pope Leo X, it has served as well this myth of Christ. When you look at the current Pope, Pope Francis, Jesus is metaphorical, not literal. So they understand that, that Jesus is more than just a single person, more than just one man that walked the earth. Christ is the potential of each and every human being that has ever lived and ever will live. And that is far greater than one single man. Mm -hmm. So really, does Christ exist? Yes, but not in the way that we've been taught for many thousands of years. It was all meant to be a symbolic representation, a spiritual representation. And the reason everything is, is, is in symbols, you know, your hieroglyphs, your Nazca lines, your crop circles. It is at master level. It is for the advanced student. And it was never meant to be for the masses, you know, the, the, the once a week Jesus mercenaries. It was never meant for those people. It was never meant for the lower level priests. It was symbolic, spiritual meaning of a higher level language. So the Shred of Turin is not Christ and even certain cardinals within the Vatican have said it is not Christ but it reminds us of him well yes but it's not him uh, so that that really is not evidence that is that is a portrait that coincides with the image that we've been given but no one has ever described what Christ looked like that's true what about stigmata stigmata is psychokinesis, which is where you can actually, the, the, the brain can create images onto your body. Now, if you look at the, the, the crucifixions of the time, nails were put through the wrist so it could actually hold the body to the stake. 
Now, when you look at stigmata, it's through the palms of the hand. So therefore, historically, that is incorrect. If you put a nail through the palm of the hand, you're not going to pin someone to a stake or to a cross because it's not solid enough. It's not, it's not secure enough. So stigmata is really psychokinesis where the mind can actually make impressions on the body if you focus that mind with such intent that it's self-focused that it actually creates image on the mind, <clears throat> on the body. Now, scientists from the West have been to the Philippines uh, to actually record this scientifically and document it scientifically that there's a surgeon in the Philippines that is able to make incisions on his patients by using his mind. No knife, no scalpel, by using the mind. The mind is an extremely powerful thing that we don't yet understand. So, <clears throat> what is this <clears throat> The human potential is post-fall. What I mean by post-fall is when we come from the celestial the terrestrial we have to come through the holy grail which is the womb that is the only way that we can come in this physical capacity through into this world that is really the descent of grace so we come from spiritual beings to physical beings on the earth sphere and the earth sphere is the first level of development now the the gears of plateau is also telling us this because the Giza Plateau represents the, the, the nine months of pregnancy, the nine pyramids, the nine months of pregnancy. And when you see the likes of the Queen's Chamber and the, the, the shafts that have been sealed, that represents the severing of the umbilical cord between mother and child. And there's lots and lots of other component parts of the, of the Giza Plateau that correspond to the nine months of pregnancy, the, the birth into this terrestrial world, the lower sphere, the first sort of stage of development back. So that really, our potential is to return back to our godly state. And we do that by the control of the four elements. Now the word God actually means the four elements. So the word God is not a character, it is a cold word. When we look at all the, the gods that we've worshipped, on this world, the likes of Enki, Enlil, Yowie, Jehovah, Ra, they're all magical formulas. And that was that is used by the Kabbalah. It was taken from Egyptian magic. So they're actually invoking deities. But we are worshipping these these deities as gods. They're not. They've been evoked by magical formulas. When you say certain words and certain letters in certain sequences in certain frequency, you evoke deities. And what they were doing in the ancient past, they were creating a compatible environment. They were creating a sacred space. Now, those, those sacred spaces and, and environments were created within a safe space of, of geometry. Now, that geometry was either a circle or a triangle. Now, when you look at the ancient monuments and the monoliths, they're either triangular, which is a pyramid, or they are circular, such as Stonehenge. So they were creating a magic space to evoke certain deities, sometimes higher deities, sometimes lower deities. So this is what we have. We have a magic formula, a magical world of codes and symbols and metaphors. 
And as I say, they were never, never meant to be taken literally. You have to pierce the outer layer before you can actually see the inner truth. But nobody's piercing the outer layer. We are just taking these stories literally at face value, believing that Noah built an ark of wood. That is, Noah's ark is the Great Pyramid. Noah's ark is not a boat. So when we're looking for a boat, we're looking in the wrong place. When we're looking for the Ark of the Covenant, we're looking in the wrong place because the Ark of the Covenant is the sarcophagus within the king's chamber. When we're looking at the Moses and, and their physical exodus, Israeli archaeologists have come out recently and saying that after 70 years of excavation, we have found no physical evidence of an exodus. That's because there never was a physical exodus. The exodus is metaphorical of the path of least resistance from the lower chapters to the promised land, the higher chapters within the mind, the kingdom of heaven, the, the land promised. Now, the, that this path of least resistance from captivity, which is the lower chapters, which is known as Egypt and the Kabbalah, to the crown chapter, which is the promised land, the mind, you go through the path of least resistance, which is known as the open sea. So this is the story of the parting of the Red Sea within the Moses story. So you will not, archaeologists will not find the evidence of these things in the ground because they're not in the ground. Interesting. <laughs> um, so how did, how did we forget the code to all these allegories? Like what happened? Like why did we go from knowing that these things are allegorical codes to believing that these were actual events and actual people. See, we, we didn't necessarily forget we have been programmed to not see. So you have a, shall we say, an aristocracy of the ancient priests, you know, the ancient pharaohs. When you look at modern day Christianity, it is really, it's gone through the hands of the Hebrews and it's come from the likes of ancient Egypt. So the Bible, the original Bible, is the oracle in stone, which is the Giza flutter. That has gone through a series of hands, although we've been corrupted, but is a group of people at the, at the top of, of, of society that realized the true meanings of what they've been presented with and what was passed down to them. And they decided that for one, it was too important to let the masses have this information. And two, they wanted this secrecy and this disinformation, sacred information for themselves to gain advantage for themselves because they wish to rule by control. They wish to rule by having the advantage of knowing more than those who they are controlling. Now, when you look at the Council of Nicaea and Constantine, they edited so many sacred texts. They removed so many sacred texts, and they presented an authorised version of what they wanted the people to know. Now, a lot of the things that they took out of the Bible, such as the Gospel of St. Thomas, tells people of their sovereignty, their inner potential. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if you wish to control people, you don't want them to know how potential or, or how potentially brilliant they truly are. You know, wish to have them Having to come through you, you can only get to the higher levels through to, to God. Through, through us, we will control, we will control it. 
but even their own Bible tells you that God is not where not in the temples built by the hands of man. So why do we go to temples built by the hands of man to worship? We are programmed. These things are kept from us. They've always been kept from us. But the, the ancients, those who did want people to know, set these codes, set this information in stone to travel the waters of time to be re-emerged at a time in their far-off future for when humanity had the best chance of understanding what they were trying to tell us. That time, based on Egyptian star codes, based on the Hebrew calendar that came from the star codes, based on these codes that were hidden in the Dead Sea Scrolls so that the Church of Rome couldn't edit them, tells us that that time is now. So it's almost like a time capsule of knowledge that has come through the sands of time, through the waters of time, through the stars of time, the reaches now to be deciphered, to be re-emerged into the public once again. Why now? Why now? Like, like did, how did, in fact, how did they know now? Were they able to divine the future, to know when? When you look at what is science, science is observation, primarily observation. And you observe, you measure, and you conclude from those observations. The first thing that man ever observed was the stars. So the original science was astronomy and astrology. When you look at the celestial narrative, which is the movement of the stars, which is the ages, you know, the 2160 years that the sun spends in each of the zodiac signs, when you look at the procession of the equinox, when you look at the change of the age, etc., it is pretty much a definite certainty that when a certain age reaches us, there will be certain upheavals, there will be certain things that happen. And that really is a certainty, the, the, the movement of the stars, the ages, all this kind of thing. So when you look at ancient prophets, they were really star readers. And when you understand the movement of the stars, when you understand the, the knowledge of the stars, then you understand what will happen in the future. If, I, if I'm now in the age of Pisces, I know that next time Pisces comes around, the same things will happen. If I'm in the age of Aquarius, I know that next time Aquarius comes, I know it's, it's going to happen again. So I know with, with, a, with a degree of certainty what is going to happen in the future. And I know with a certain certainty that if I wish to release this information in the age of Aquarius next time, this is what will happen. Because the age of Aquarius takes us from belief, which is now more than a convenient comfort, into I want to know the truth. So when you have key words for each of the age, we have Pisces, which is I believe, and we have Aquarius, which is I know. So we want to know, we don't want to believe. And they understood this and they understood the cycles of time. They understood cyclical nature of, of the stars and the celestial narrative. So they did, to a certain degree, know what was going to happen. And they knew to a certain degree that it was going to happen now. Don't forget that these these ancient cultures also had very, very close contact with many races not from this world. And you can see that when you look at the, the structures on Earth, you can take that and you can look at structures which are on Sidon and City on Mars. You can see these structures on the Moon. You can see these structures on Venus. You can see these structures on Phobos, which is, which is one of the moons of Mars. You can see all of these different things. Now, when you take that to a mathematical language, within 
the longitude and latitude coordinates of these monuments on Earth, they are telling you their precise location. But not only are they telling you their precise location, they are giving you the precise location of other monuments as well. So when you look at the face on Mars, which is a mathematical exact match of the Sphinx of Egypt, it tells you within the face on Mars in its longitude and latitude mathematical coordinates how to find Stonehenge. It tells you how to find the Great Pyramid. The Great Pyramid tells you how to find Sidonian City. Stonehenge tells you how to find the Sidonian City. So this was a a cross civilization, star civilization that were in contact and given their precise location to be found. It's almost like a mathematical satellite navigation system that reaches across the solar system. So we, we have all of these different component parts happening. But in essence, you know, when I've looked at star codes and I've dated the Great Pyramid and I've looked at the, the Hebrew calendar that was taken from them, star codes that tell me the age of the Great Pyramid, which is monumentally older than what we've been told, they knew what was going to happen and they knew that the, the seventh in 360-year cycle was the time and that is now. Hmm. So, um, with the extraterrestrials, um, why did they choose monuments and mathematical mathematical formulas to as clues, rather than just coming down here and saying and, and holding a press conference? Why did you make it so difficult? Well, the thing is, it's. it's if I go to a kindergarten now, I am still going to speak in my adult language. Even though I'm going to try and tailor it for the kindergarten children, I'm still going to speak in my adult language. Now, the words and the terminology that I always use. And I'm going to try and get those children to understand what I'm saying by different methods, by different communicados. When you look at how the universe is structured, how the universe was created by a supreme mathematician. The language of the universe is numbers. The language of the universe is mathematics. So therefore, that is a higher level of communication, mathematics. So if you wish to communicate with a higher level, you need to speak a higher level of language, which is mathematics. They are encoding within sound waves messages and when you look at the likes of crop circles, crop circles are emitting the likes of diatonic ratios. And within those sound waves, there are letters, there are sentences, there are words, but they are in a higher level language that we must elevate ourselves to understand. But really, if I was to, to get in, in, into an airplane now and go and fly to China or, or Japan, then when I get there, I would expect to be spoken to in Chinese or Japanese. So when I'm in a universe that is based on numbers, numerics and advanced numbers, then you can expect to be contacted via numbers. And a lot of other people, including myself, are reporting seeing number sequences repeatedly, triple five, triple one, triple two, triple three, repeatedly seeing these number sequences. That is a communication, a mathematical communication. So we are being spoke to in many different ways. Uh, and that is just how they communicate. That is how the universe is created. They do communicate in our language. 
I have had messages in my language given to me by them. I have been telepathically invited to certain locations at certain times. That mess, that, that urge, that message was in my language. So they do speak in our language, but they also have their own language and the higher languages for that. If everything is mathematical, does that mean that the universe is holographic in nature? There's much debate on, on the nature of, of the universe. My, my fear on that is that it's computer software and everything really relates to a binary code, which is a computer code. So there are only two binary numbers, which is zero and one, but every number has a binary code. So when you look at gravity, when you look at consciousness, when you look at duality, when you look at the structure of the universe itself, where something came from nothing, nothing is zero, something is one, it is the, it is the binary code of duality. So my, my opinion, having seen clouds turn into numbers, having seen grids pulsating from the moon, my opinion is it, it is computer software, but it is a mathematical sequence and Everything within that, even even our bodies, is based on mathematics. Everything is mathematical. Now, when you look at human bodily movements, they are really the, the, the language of waves, the language of waveforms. So a wave is duality, because when you hit the top of the wave, it's positive. The bottom of the wave is negative, positive, negative, and so on. So that's really... Wave-particle duality. Now, when you look at the language of waveform, it complies with what is known as Fourier mathematics. Now, Fourier mathematics is the mathematics that was used to create the hologram. So human bodily movement complies with the mathematics of the hologram. Now, there's, there's a valid debate for, 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 for that kind of system. Who created it and why? We, we were created by supreme computer mind. And if you are, the word alone basically gives us all one. So if you are all one, you are alone. If you wish to communicate back to yourself, if you wish to expand yourself, if you wish to reach perfection, Perfection is really when you have balanced your dualistic polarities. So if you are just one singular, then you can never be perfect. So if you wish to communicate back to yourself and you wish to balance your dualistic opposites, which, which has to occur naturally when something comes from nothing, you have to create duality. So <clears throat> you wish to expand, you wish to balance, you wish to become perfect, you wish to relay information back to yourself, so therefore, you have to fragment yourself trillion times, which is what we are. We are all fragments of the original central processing unit, computerized unit. So eventually, we will all defrag back to that singularity, having relayed information and experience back to ourselves. That is what they call in the New Age in certain spiritual sections as the return to one the return singularity. It is really the defragments of all the fragments that, that were, were separated from that one in the first place. So you have an explosion and then it comes back. Just like the waves. 
Does that mean we don't have free will? We we have very, very little free will within absolute determinism. So our free will is based upon very, very limited maneuverability. So I can walk out of my house now and I can turn left, I can turn right, I can go straight ahead. But those three options are very, very narrow options. They've already been created for me. I can go out and I can vote Republican. I can go out and vote Democrat. But those two options have been chosen for me. So it's a very, very narrow free will. So you will find that the, the universe is an absolute determinism simply because once it was set in motion, in secular motion, it required very, very little intervention from the creative mind. So we are we are stuck within absolute determinism where we go with the cycles of nature, we go with the cycles of the season, we go with the birth and death cycle, and all of these different cycles that have been set in motion within absolute determinism. Does that decrease the value of morality? Does that mean I can pretty much do everything and anything that I feel like doing and not have to worry about the consequences because everything is already predetermined? You watch what you think, what you do, the actions that you take are recorded and everything has a consequence somewhere. Some people will call that karma. If you follow Newtonian physics, it's action reaction. You know, if I touch this computer now, then at the same time the computer touches me. So every time we do something, there is a, 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 an equal and opposite reaction, which some people call karma. So you are responsible because you do have that very, very slim, slim free will to make a very, very narrow choice within that determinism but you are responsible for what you do you are responsible for what you say and little do people realize that a lot of the negative entities that come and go between our world and other worlds are normally lower astral entities that were created by the force of man and they they are really the lower entities of the astral plane that are feeding off the negative energies of humanity and we're the ones who have created them entities. So we are responsible. And part of the mastery of self, the part of the human potential that I spoke about earlier, is to control the likes of the four elements within you. That then leads me to the pentagram and the symbol of the mysteries and then the star of Bethlehem, which contains the four elements, which is your fire, your earth, your water, your air. If you control your anger, you control the fire elements, you control your emotions, you control the water elements, you control your thoughts, you control the air elements, you look after the body, make it as pure as possible, you are then concentrating on the earth elements. If you can master your elements, you become the God-man. That God-man is in union with the Godhead, which is the higher divine man within the pentagram. If you see the whole of creation is the number 10, then man is a miniature, the universe is the number five, which is the pentagram, which is the symbol of the mysteries, which contains the four elements, plus the ether, which is the ascent, the fifth element. If you can master those, and that's why Mr. Spock on Star Trek will say, I'm in control of my emotions. 
yes, you are in control of the four elements, which is the Yahweh, the Jehovah, the, the, the magic formula of the four elements within, which makes you the God, man, the, the divine on earth. Part of that, of course, is controlling your thoughts, because your thoughts, you know, as the Bible says, the word becomes flesh. What you speak, what you think, becomes your reality. So you are responsible for what you put out there, even though it is within a very, very narrow maneuverability of what, what we believe to be free will. So when you talk about mastering the elements, what comes to my mind is something like the initiation process into the golden dawn. Is that what you're referring to? It, it is part of what I'm referring to. That there are initiation really means to enlighten the soul because it is at a soul level where we get initiated. Now, in the past, you used to have the, the likes of the mystery schools where they would choose their candidates, they would choose their their students, and they would take them behind closed doors. They would go through many, many years of rituals and, and purifications, and they would get to a level where they would have been students, where they were then given the secrets of the universe, the secrets of the mysteries. And you see lots and lots of secret societies, or shall I say, societies of secrets that have adopted many of those rituals in order to initiate their soul. There's people walking on the earth at the moment, and I'm one of them, where there's, there's events in my life and there's, there's things in my life that have mirrored and mimicked the initiation process without going into mystery schools, without being taken by the high priests of Egypt, etc., and, and being given mysteries. In 2009, I kept seeing a golden key in my mind's eye. Now, when I looked into the golden key later on, because I didn't understand what I was seeing or why I was seeing it, the golden key is, is, is symbolic of the mystery schools of unlocking the doors, the worthiness to be in your seat of this information. So sometimes people are carrying this sacred knowledge dormant within them, sometimes from the past incarnation. And at some point, it will be reactivated. And that's why you say, you know, some people say, I've had this spiritual awakening. You've just been reactivated to continue where you left off. And so a lot of my life, a lot of the things that have happened to me with my experiences and different things have mirrored and mimicked certain degrees of initiation. So the Golden Dawn would be a part, but it is one small part of many, many sort of groups that are engaged in this kind of uh, ritualistic mastery. We see, you know, the, the, the symbol of the Buddha with the lotus leaf, the thousand petals, the number of thousand means self-mastery, the conqueror. That is why we have a thousand petal leaves upon Buddha's head because he's telling you that he has mastered himself, his mind, his body, his spirit. Hmm. <clears throat> well, you do look a little bit like Alistair Crowley. It has it, been said. Has anybody ever said that said. to you? Yes, yes, it has been said. Uh, <laughs> based on a picture that I that I have on, well, I used to have on my website and, and when it was brought up, Somebody in, in one of my audiences said, you look like, but I, I can assure you I'm not, not knowingly any relation 
but yes, it has been. Has been that. Have you ever considered the idea that you might be a reincarnation? <laughs> I do know that I'm I'm related to uh, queens of ancient Egypt, so my my bloodline, my my DNA would carry some of this sacred knowledge from from a past time, uh, but. I've traced, I've, I've, I've traced my genealogy, and it's not Crowley's. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it goes basically back to, to Queen Scotia, etc. Of, of Anglican. Interesting. Crowley claimed to be the reincarnation of Eliphaz Levi, I believe, who was also a not... very, very, very interesting occultist. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, occult really just just means hidden, means secret. Yeah. And when you see, you know, the likes of priests wearing black, it's because black absorbs light, which is seen as, as knowledge, wisdom, but it doesn't reflect it back. So in other words, it's keeping the, the information and it's keeping it secret, it's keeping it without giving it out. So that really is, is the whole system of occult and, and, and the colour black, and, and which goes into, you know, the start of Nazi Germany and, and Saturnalian Brotherhoods and the back to the Church of, of Rome. But it's really hidden, and you have to realize that there's light and dark, or what we believe to be positive and negative, which is really two aspects of the same same thing. And that again, that is that is duality. We always have the effect, but we never see the cause of that effect. So duality is the effect, a trinity is the cause. But occultism really is keeping this information secret. But there's different levels of keeping it secret. They even keep it secret amongst their own ranks because you only get to know what you need to know at the level that you are. So, you know, I could be a first, second, third, fourth, fifth degree mason, but I only know what I need to know within those degrees. When you start getting to the real, real, real top 33 degree and, and, and beyond, that's when you start getting introduced to the, to the truth and beyond that. And a lot of these ancient mystery school truths are what I'm discussing today, which is they are all telling you about the self. Know thyself. If you wish to understand the mystery, now the answer to that mystery is within the mystery itself. If you want to understand the universe, if you want to understand nature, if you wish to understand the oceans, you must understand yourself because you are a miniature of all of those things. Yeah. And that, that is what that is what they're all telling you, in essence, that it all comes from you. When you look at the word self, two middle letters of self are E-L, which is God. So it is the God within self. And it really, all roads lead to you. You are the foundation. You are the temple. Hmm. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the things, like with the initiation, that I think is um, there's certain secrets and certain mysteries and certain pieces of wisdom that people are not going to understand, at least for me, as I've gotten older and gone through life, there's things that I can understand now that I couldn't understand when I was 20. And because I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to accept certain things as truth. And, you know, that's why I kind of think the mystery schools work in that way. 
And, and what you mentioned too is like is like I do think too that that some people seem to go through it organically, like just through living life. We go through these different initiations in life, and we have a choice of either to to accept the truth or reject it. And if we reject the truth at that certain point, that's where we stop. We don't go past that point. But if we learn how to keep accepting these different truths, we keep moving up. Would you agree with that? I would. And, and again, most of, of humanity are at a, at a level, a low spiritual maturity, where they see that there's just Earth. They, they don't believe that there's anything beyond Earth. They believe that it's this one sphere in the middle of space that contains the only form of life in the whole of the universe. They don't realize that there are spheres and realities of existence beyond theirs. Now, when you only think that you are the only sphere of existence, then you can't accept or understand the fact that there's other spheres beyond the horizon that you can't see the unseen. So when you look at what is the biblical Elohim, Elohim really is to go beyond the horizon. When you go beyond the horizon, that is the meaning of the Elohim. Because Elohim or Haolam, part of Elohim, means to go beyond the horizon. So those who are in, in possession of the higher facts realize that this existence is reality beyond this one. Mm. That is definitely the truth, Elohim. Now, in, in the mystery schools and, and the ancient secrecy, they see the new initiates and basically humanity as, as babies. Now, what I mean by babies is... A baby feeds on milk because it's not yet ready for solid food. Now, solid food is seen as the secrets, the wisdom, the knowledge. So if you are the baby on milk, you are not yet ready for the mysteries, for the meat, for the solid food. So you have to get your develop yourself until you are ready to receive this information. And until you are ready to receive this information, you will not receive it because you are not ready for it. So if you liken it to the baby on milk, he or she has to continue on that milk until their body, their mind, their spirit, everything is ready for this higher knowledge. And they won't receive it until they're ready for it. We, as, 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 a, as a race, are reading things literally. We can pick up the Bible, or we can pick up the Quran, or we can pick up any of these sacred books and... 99 out of every 100 people, even probably even more of a percentage, will pick the book up, read it from left to right, and take it literally. When you look at the five books of Moses, which which makes up the Torah, I guarantee if I was to hand the Bible to anybody, they would pick it up, read it from left to right, from Genesis through to Deuteronomy, which is the five books of the Torah, the five books of Moses. Yet, in Hebrew, they read and they write from right to left. But what you should be doing really is reading from Deuteronomy to Genesis backwards. Mm-hmm. Because then you are getting closer to the, the true translation. We write from left to right. So therefore we are going away from the heart. We are going away from our spiritual center. Yet the rabbis, the Hebrew mystics, write from right to left. They are taking themselves towards their spiritual center, their heart. So if the Hebrew mystics, and, and you look at the Bible, which is, the, which is the, 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 a division of the Hebrew scriptures, which again is a corruption 
of the of the Egyptian knowledge. But if they're reading and writing from right to left, then why are we reading their book from left to right? We're doing it the opposite way around. We should not be taking these things literally. We should be looking at the spiritual message within them. That is why it always says, to, to you, I give you the secrets. To them, it is parables. So in other words, it is a message within a spiritual story, but we are taking the story and not the true meaning. We are completely reading things literally and getting it wrong, and that includes the priests, that include the scholars that, that look at these books and think, oh, yes, look, it says that there were giants in those days. Look at Goliath, who proves that there were giants. He doesn't because Goliath is, is, again, is a metaphor. When you look at, you know, the, the size of Goliath, he was six cubits in one span, which is really nine foot nine. Now, when you look when, when you look at 99, it, it leads you to cognitive knowledge. It leads you to the Ark of the Covenant, the, 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 the mathematical size of the Ark of the Covenant, which relates to the sarcophagus in the King's Chamber. The King's Chamber relates to the pineal gland, which is the seat of knowledge, seat of wisdom, the, the spiritual seat, the spiritual eye. So it is all metaphorical. It is not real. People are looking at it and taking it as a literal reality. It was never meant to be taken that way. Ancient writings are spiritual representations. They are not real. And if you put a real story to these intended truths, you're never going to find the truth in them. You, you have to piece that pierce, that outer veil, that outer lid before you can actually see the truths. And it is written in many different levels. Hebraic typology, there are many, many different levels of knowledge within these words. And, and unless you understand the formula, unless you understand thinking, unless you understand that it's mythological and symbolic, you will never get to the truth. One interesting things about the Hebrew, or several interesting things you mentioned about the Hebrew language, but one of them is that their letters are also numbers. So, so is it, their language is also a mathematical formula. It is a Phoenician type of language to speak, and it's also a symbolic language because because each letter is a picture of something that also has its own meaning. And when you connect the th these three different aspects of that language, one word itself could contain the entire mystery of the universe. Absolutely. And letters and words are cloud in numbers. Numbers are cloud in words. Now, the letter M is the number 40. How many times do we see number 40 used in the Bible? How many times do we see the letter M used in the Bible? Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, etc. M, M, Mem, Mem, water, water. So it, it is a very complicated and, like you say, one word can make a complete difference to the scripture. The amount of people that says, you know, you must fear the Lord, you must fear God. But when you look at what fear means in Hebrew, it means to understand, it means to know. So it doesn't mean to be scared. It means to understand and to know these things. When you look at the Ten Commandments, meant is mind, and command is mama, which means to prepare for an influx of life into the mind. So when you understand 
the original intention, when you understand the original language, not what it means now, but what it meant then, it tells you something completely different. It completely changes the meaning of that scripture. You, you don't have to fear the Lord. You, you don't have to be scared of the Lord. You have to know. You have to understand. And obviously know is knowledge. And when you have this knowledge, which is true validated knowledge, it becomes wisdom. That is completely changes the structure, the foundation, and the meaning of these scriptures. Yeah, it definitely uh, does. And you also have a book called Alchemy of the Gods. Now, does that book focus on any type of alchemy, you know, like the Emerald Tabloid or anything like that? Or is it just about the general transformative process that some people use the word alchemy for? Well, it, it, it covers generally the whole of, of, of the secrecy of the ancient world and what it means. When, when you look at the word alchemy, it's really the, the chemistry of God. And as I say, God is not deity. The word God relates to the four elements in, in Kabbalah magic. So, you know, the G is water, the O is earth, the D is fire, and God creates with breath, which is air. So the word God is the four elements which we have to master to become the God-man, the Godhead. So the alchemy of the gods really covers the ancient world and what they were telling us through religious scripture, what they were telling us through the Anunnaki story, which was telling us the same thing, through the heads of Easter Island and what that was telling us, uh, God of Tepe, what that is telling us. And it goes across the whole of this, this ancient world because when I first started looking into these things, I, I treated them as individual civilizations, but I soon realized that were, each of them were a, a piece of the same jigsaw. And each and every civilization was speaking about the same things, but they were expressing it with different symbols in a different way. You know, one was saying red, then another culture was saying crimson, but they still meant the same thing. They were just expressing it a different way. Hmm. So it goes into the connection, it goes into some of the mathematical measurements between the monuments and the monoliths, the face on Mars, the Sidonian city, goes into uh, a mathematical formula that I came up with for the speed of reality and how surprisingly to me, the numbers that I came up with for the speed of reality was replicated within the sonics of the Great Pyramid, which I didn't realise at the time that I was coming up with this formula. So it goes into all this kind of thing and it sort of teaches, you know, what... Uh, but when I write anything, I, I I have a background of evidential writing. So it's very matter of fact to the point because I used to write to give evidence in court and, and before judges and, and different things who just wanted to have the facts. So my writing and my speaking is really matter of fact to the point. And I always think, what does the reader need to know? What do I want to tell the reader? What do they need to know? And that's how I formulate the book. What does the reader need to know? What do I know? And then I put it in, in a chronological, make sense way. And, and sometimes, you know, when, when you get a book, you can go very, very deep because the reader can go at their pace. And if it gets too much, they can close that book, think about it, and then come back the next day. Uh, you know, when I, when I do a, a talk, there's lots and lots of information pounded at them for, for a couple of hours. And, and sometimes it, they go away with their head spinning. But when you have a book, you can take it at your pace, and, and that is the beauty of a book. You can go as deep as you wish at 
the level of the reader. So the, the, the alchemy of the gods goes into alchemy, goes into sexual alchemy, goes into you know the philosopher's stone, the the, the enlightenment, the, the gold, reaching the gold, and he goes through many of the ancient cultures which were talking about the same thing in a different way. Interesting. You know, one thing that I just learned, uh, actually yesterday during an interview, was that the latitude and longitude of the Great Pyramid matches the speed of light. Do you know that? It's crazy. How, how, how that happened? When you look at who put these advanced monuments there, it was according to, to the information that I have and the information that I found and certain code words and certain encryptions that are within the stone, the builder of the Great Pyramid was a creator of the universe, the mathematical mind of the universe. So the mathematical mind that created all of these things understands the mathematics of them, understands all of these things that, that, that are encrypted within the Great Pyramid. So sound, sonics, you know, when, when you do sound experiments and you hit 432 hertz, which is quite a pinnacle frequency in the Great Pyramid, you create the tetrahedron, the pyramid shape. So the pyramid was the Great Pyramid was created by sound, was created by the mathematical genius that created the universe, and it's encrypted with such advanced knowledge that once we understand that advanced knowledge, we will elevate ourselves to our correct position where we should be, instead of trailing very, very far behind from where we should be now. And that, that really goes into, again, many of the other connecting monuments and monoliths around the world, which are all upon sacred locations and energy centers of the Earth. In, in as much as the, the earthly monuments are connected by the likes of ley lines, which are electromagnetic energies, so are the stars. They are connected by light lines, but we just happen to not be able to see them. But they are all connected in sort of a geometric grid. Now, if you wish to skip from grid to grid, or from dimension to dimension, or from reality to the reality, you do that at 90 degree angles, which is why you see the likes of UFOs shooting off at 90 degrees, because that is how you skip from reality to dimension. That's what they're doing. Wow. So you're saying God <laughs> made that pyramid, made the Great Pyramid anyway. So, so if God made the Great Pyramid, like, was that created like at the same time as the Earth? You know, has it been here as long as the planet has been here? I've dated the Great Pyramid based on Egyptian star codes, based on the Hebrew calendar, which was taken from the Egyptian star codes, which they've hidden within the Dead Sea Scrolls. I've dated the pyramid at 73,440 years of age. That's how old the Great Pyramid is, according to the mathematics of the, of the pyramid, which correlates to the star codes, correlates to the Hebrew calendar, which was taken from those star codes. 73,440 years of age the Great Pyramid. So when we are told in the mainstream that it's, what, three and a half thousand? Yeah, absolute nonsense. It's, well, a lot older because we are in need of assistance. We are in need of those breadcrumbs to take us out of there. When you look at symbols such as the Eye of Horus and people say that it means the pineal gland, it does, but that is just one small fraction of what it means. The rest of the eye represents the five senses. And the five senses are the five wounds of Christ. And we are bound, our reality at the moment is bound by those five senses. Those five senses take the universal waves 
pass the information to the brain. The brain creates a familiar world based on the waves, based on, on the information of the five senses. So we never actually see the outside world. We don't even know if one exists. We are purely imprisoned within the five senses. So the eye of Aurus, which relates to the five senses, is telling you how to escape them. Albeit, you know, you go through the pupil, which is the infinite expanse, and you escape the, the birth and death cycle. You escape the five senses, the prison of the five senses. You escape the cycles of nature. And they are telling us within, again, their symbols. So the, the, the again, God, when, when we say the word God, we think of priests, we think of Sunday church, we think God is not a character. God is a code. The mathematical creator has created the pyramids, has created these monuments and monoliths as a, an assistance. And the certain ancient people who were taught how to use them. There are certain visitors from other places that knew how to use them. Now, when you, when you know how to use these things, you know, when you look for arguments, say, the 64 keys of Enoch, the 64 keys of Enoch is a harmonic grid that sits beneath the Giza platter. That is an 8 by 8 grid. Now, 8 times 8 is 64. When you reach the 64th note at the right octave, then that is the hemi, hemi quiver that opens a stargate. Stonehenge is a stargate. It's people who have disappeared from the centre of Stonehenge, never to be seen again. It is a stargate, and you open it by harmonics. Now, when you understand how to do this, you are in direct communicado with the creator of the universe, because you are exchanging information that only you and it knows. And this is really advanced level knowledge, advanced level information. So all I have to do is hit a certain note and it will open the Stargate and I can transcend space and time? Correct. When I went, I, I, I do group tours around uh, sacred sites and one of those group tours was to take a group to the inner circle of Stonehenge. On that day, I had a class friend who is a very spiritual person, but when we were inside... The, the inner circle of Stonehenge. She just went into a sort of a trance and her a sort of a mind that she, she wasn't here. So she went she went elsewhere. She just walked further into the centre of Stonehenge, the circle of Stonehenge. And she started to do what what is known as tonal rules. Her tonal rules are multiple harmonics from the same voice. And when she started to do these harmonics she made a circle, crystalline stone circle of Stonehenge, vibrate and sing back. When you reach a certain harmonic, because these monuments, sacred sites, are aligned to certain planets. So Stonehenge is aligned to Saturn. Silbury Hill is aligned to Earth and Mars. That is why you have the altar of witness on Mars, which is an exact replica of Silbury Hill in Avery. When you get a map, at the Sidonian city on Mars, and you put that map over Avery in Wiltshire, UK, which is where Stonehenge is, it's an exact map replica. Exact. So these sacred sites, even the crop circle phenomena, is, is sound waves coming from the rings of Saturn, which are creating patterns in the landscape, because Stonehenge is aligned to Saturn, 
and it is a, a, a crystalline receiver, an aerial receiver. When we see patterns like crop circles, when we see beautiful geometric shapes within snowflakes, that is purely capturing the sound of the environment. It is creating a picture of the frequency of the environment. So crop circles, the beautiful geometry of the crop circles, is the signals being transmitted from the rings of Saturn. And when you listen to the rings of Saturn, emanations of radio waves, and you listen to the sounds coming from crop circles, they are a pitch exact match. Mm. So when you reach the correct tone, the correct frequency, you open stargates and you get transported to wherever that is aligned to. You know, our voice is a powerful thing. At certain frequencies, we can shatter glass just with our voice. And as I say, people have actually gone missing. In, in August 1971, I think it was, there were five men in, in, in the centre of Stonehenge. They had a campfire and they had tents pitched. A police officer and a farmer were approaching them and they saw a flash of light. They heard multiple screams and the men disappeared forevermore. But their campfire was still on a light and their tents were still pitched. But those five men have never been seen again. They've gone through the, the Stargate. But where to? Saturn? Well, that's where Stonehenge is aligned to. But again, if you can go to multiple places based on the frequency of that place. So it's, it's simple. If you imagine you, you get into an elevator and you want the, the 17th floor, you press number 17. When you look at advanced, the masters of sound... You know, when you see the wasp scepter of Egypt, when you see the little tuning fork at the bottom of the scepter, when you wish to go to a certain place, you align yourself to the frequency of that place, and that is where you go to. So wherever, whatever frequency they were aligned to is where they would have been transferred to. It's a, it's a, it's a frequency, it's a harmonic thing, and, and they are able to, to go to different places based on the harmony of that place. I want to try this. Um, some pe people have said to me, I I've, see I've seen in the night sky, I've seen wormholes appear. I've seen craft coming out of those wormholes. I've then seen that craft fly across the sky and the wormhole, the portal, dissipated. I have been in dense forestry with friends and my wife. And it is so dark that you can't see your hand in front of you. So dark. And we've seen beautiful white lights appear between the trees and this was for those who are familiar with Rendlesham Forest I guess this was this was my Rendlesham Forest but it was beautiful pure white light that was so bright I couldn't look into it because my eyes were hurting it was silent it was wide it was long and it was amongst the pitch black trees and it just lit the area up that to me was a gateway because when I look back at the photographs of the light, you see things going through it. I mean, I mean, technically, it looked like it was going through. It could have technically been coming out of it, but nevertheless, it was it was it was a portal. And people have said to me, "Well, why didn't you go in?" Well, because I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where it's going to end up. Can I ever come back? You know, the, the decision was, I'm going to stay in this reality because this is what I know. I'm not just going to walk into the. I'm just not going to walk into a a, a portal and, and not know if I can ever come back.
you know, and you have to be, I guess, you, you know, the, the, the cautious side of me didn't want to do that, uh, and I didn't, but the cautious side of me wouldn't go and open up the Stargate of, of Egypt, you know, or the Stargate of Stonehenge, because I don't know where I'm going to. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't want to fly through Bermuda Triangle either at, at, its, at its activation point. But some people maybe want to, but I, I, I didn't. I would do it. I would walk through it. Yeah, and again, it was it was mentioned to me that maybe I should have done, but not not when I don't know where it is or where where it's going to. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot of reports too about portals and stuff in um, the Sedona, Arizona area. Have you ever heard about those? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a it's a very sacred area for 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 these kind of dimensional travels. Yes. Absolutely. Hmm. Do you think that a person could return through these portals? You know, like like for example, like time travel. You ever see those pictures of people on cell phones and stuff like that? But the picture was taken in like in 1930 or something. Do you think those are possibly people that slipped through a portal? I, I think that there, there are multiple different realities going on at the same time. And I think that time is also secular. So I, I also can subscribe to the fact that the past is happening now because we're going around in a circle. And if you take a wide enough circle, you can see into the past. Now, my, my first, I'd, I'd, seen, I'd seen things leading up to this, but my major awakening, so to speak, involved remote viewing through an incident in the past, which was really conscious time travel. I've experienced going back personally, and I've experienced visitations from the ancient past in my time. So time is lateral, time is secular. And if you go into a certain time event, then you can go back to the past. You can go into one of multiple probable outcomes of the future. So when when I when I do see pictures, yes of course there's always there's always an element of them that are going to be forged, they're going to be Photoshop. But because I've personally experienced time travel twice, one me going back, another one something coming forward, then absolutely, uh, because so many different realities going on at the same time all around us that sometimes we catch a glimpse of them, often we don't, but nevertheless they're still going on. So I, I, I've also experienced parallel existence and there, there, there's there's an incident where, not in this house, but in, in the hall house where we used to live, I was sitting at the bottom of the stairs on, on the sofa, and I was on the laptop, as I used to be. And my wife came down the stairs and looked at the computer, and there was HTML, advanced computer code, on the screen. And I was dealing with, with this advanced computer code. For anybody that knows me, that is not me. I don't understand computer code. I, I know how to 
log on to the Zoom link to get onto this interview. But I don't know anything about advanced computer code, not in a million years. But she came downstairs and saw me dealing with advanced computer code on my laptop. She walked past and then started to think, what, 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 what's he doing with that? That's not him. And then she came back and the screen was different. There was something else different on the screen. But when she looked into the back office of the computer, she actually found evidence of this advanced computer code on that I've been dealing with. You know what I'm what I'm what I'm saying in this is she came down and she glimpsed into a parallel where where it was me, but it was me doing something else at the same time. So so, so do you think there's multiple U's existing all at the same time? Yes. Because time what is time? Time is something that separates events, but time is also a perception. Now, when, when you know, the, the time well, that we started this interview now is 7 p.m. in the evening for you, but it is 1 a.m. the next day for me. So, therefore, time is a perception. Time is not something that is, that is a structure that can't change. When you look at the, the United States, you know, you've got, you've got four or five different timelines across one country. Mm. So how can time be a, a firm structure? It is a perception. If I'm traveling at light speed and you are not, my time is different to yours. So is it possible that there are multiple things happening within the same time? Yes, absolutely. So what do you think the future for humanity is? You think we're going to crack this code and move up the evolutionary ladder? Or do you think we're just going to get stuck? And if we don't crack the code and move up to the ladder, what will happen to us? While we, while we are here, we have an opportunity through all of the the torment and all the traumas and all the all the negativity that, that, that we face to raise our spiritual maturity if we wish to. It is the perfect opportunity. If you want to go to the gym to, to advance your muscles, you know, to, 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 to have your muscles bulging through your shirt, then you have to have some kind of resistance to, to make that happen. And and the things that we are facing now is that resistance to, to make us stronger, to, to give us the, 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 the leg up to, to be of a higher spiritual maturity if we wish. When you pass from, from the physical and you are in this birth and death cycle, there is what is known as a density degree, which in layman's terms is a compatible frequency. So if you raise yourself while you are here, then you are no longer compatible with the low vibration of the earth frequency then you won't come back here because you're not compatible and many people who, who are coming into this information who are interested in, in this kind of information feel very very that they don't belong here they're not at the same vibration of their planet of birth that is because they are elevating themselves beyond the frequency of their planet of birth there are those of course who are completely happy in the there's only one sphere of existence, there's only one Earth, there's only one reality, there's nothing beyond that. 
those are the people who are compatible with the frequency of Earth. They're going to keep coming back. What is going to happen to humanity? Whatever it chooses. There are individuals within this race that are starting to get, who are starting to question, who are starting to advance themselves. There are those on, on this planet, going back to the, the scenario of the baby on milk, not yet ready for the solids. There are people who are still on the milk who are not yet ready for the solids. They will have that opportunity because everything is a cycle. And if they miss it this time, then they'll just carry on with the milk until they're ready. So what will happen to humanity? If you look at certain cows within the Great Pyramid, when you look at the dynamic effect of the universe, where you have to have opposing vibrations, low vibrations, high vibrations, planets and star systems that naturally go through both of them. When you go through a low vibration, you come what you what you class as a dark age. When you come through a high vibration region of the universe, you can come into what you would class as a golden age. When you look at certain codes within the Great Pyramid, it speaks of a golden age for humanity in the future. But I, I do think that the ascension that was that's been spoken about for many, many years, uh, the the divide that's been spoken about for many, many years is what we are now seeing between the people who are advancing themselves and those who are not. And that is becoming more and more apparent division within this one reality. It's interesting. So 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 in a way there's hope for everybody. But maybe just not at this current cycle. It would be come around to get the next cycle possibly. Or the one after that, or the one after that. It, it really depends on again. I I I was in a thirty year career and at year seventeen, through no fault of my own, I was absolutely bombarded every day with what you would class supernatural paranormal experiences. They just came out of the blue. They completely changed my life. And as a result of that, I'm now sitting here having deciphered a sufficient amount of this sacred knowledge to advance myself. What what I do can be done by anybody. We all have the same things. We all have the same things within us. We all work the same. We all have the same basic design. We all have the same spiritual potential. So what one person does, everyone can do. Mm. But you have to want to do it. You have to want to work it. You know, some of these people who were in the mystery schools spent decades, absolute decades, balancing each of the aspects of themselves to be ready for the solid food. You know, and sometimes it comes fast. Sometimes people, some people have been doing this 30, 40 years. I've been doing this now probably 13, 14 years. You know, there'll be people who've been doing this for 12 months. But nevertheless, those who are doing it for 12 months have the, the, the advantage that they can call upon the information of those who've been doing it for 30, 40 years. When you bring this kind of information into the arena and you start bringing it back into the public domain, when when you look at the word true, which is the same as the word tree, and you know you have light, which is a straight line, which is straight answer, you know, it, it's, it's truth. When you look at the, the, the roots of a tree, it represents the unseen. It represents the, the secret hidden knowledge. So when people call you a blasphemer, 
blaspheme in Hebrew means to uproot. So in other words, if you are a blasphemer, you are uprooting secret knowledge and making it manifest. You are making it visible to everyone. That's all you are as a blasphemer. It's not a negative thing, it's a positive thing, but it's been used in a negative way. So you are exposing this secret information that's been unseen until now, and you are making it seen and manifesting to the public arena. That is what I'm doing. Because true enlightenment is not only improving yourself, but it's influencing and helping other people to improve themselves. And that is true enlightenment. And when this information, more and more of this information becomes readily available, it helps everybody comes into contact with that information. So there is hope for all of those people. And to put that into a nice positive story that I, that I once heard and what I once read that is perfect, two men walking along a beach and there's lots and lots of starfish have been washed up onto the beach and they're going to perish because they're not in the water. And one of the, the men bends down, picks a starfish up and throws it back into the sea. And his friend says, why did you do that? What difference is it going to make? And he replied, it made a big difference to him. You know, and that, you know, for every one person, that listens to this and gets it, it's made a big difference to them. And that really is why you now I'm more than happy to, to sit up at one o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning, my time, to help that one person that wants to get it. Wow. Um, so uh, this, this was a fantastic interview. Thank you for uh, coming on today. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. It's an absolute Absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank, thank, thank you for, for the platform, really. Uh, before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you and find your books? The best place to go to is my website, which is michael-feely.com. And from there, you can uh, speak to me, obviously, Skype on, on email, wherever, or you can sign up to YouTube, where I do lots and lots of short videos with this kind of information in bite size or you can sign up to, to my newsletters where I send out every week or send a newsletter with this kind of information in written form. So the best place to go really is, is the website and then that leads you to everywhere else that I am. Alright. So I'll post a link to your website in the notes of this episode so my listeners can check you out and get in touch with you if they need to or want to. I hope they do. No, if they do, I, I promise to reply to every single one. Uh, and I will sit there and I'll go through every single message, every single question, everything, and, and I will reply as soon as I can. All right. Well, thank you very much again. I really enjoyed this interview. And uh, hang on for a moment. I'm just going to play my outro.